0: Psalm 19.1 says that the heavens are telling of the glory of God, and the expanse shows His handiwork. This is Good Heavens, a podcast taking a deeper look at the glory of God reflected in the stars above us. Here are your hosts, Wayne Spencer and Daniel Ray.
1: Famed astronomer, Johannes Kepler, contracted smallpox as a young child and, as a result, had significant problems with his eyesight for the rest of his life. Not exactly a promising start for a future astronomer. But suffering and difficulty were a hallmark of Johannes Kepler's life and times. He lived during the Catholic Counter-Reformation, during which many cities throughout Europe were either Catholic or Protestant. There were also two calendars in use during kepler's life the julian calendar of ancient rome and the gregorian calendar created in 1582 by pope gregory the 13th when johannes was just 11 years old kepler was a sickly child somewhat of a hypochondriac meticulous aloof anxious astutely observant with few friends or companions growing up his interests in astronomy began when it is said his mother Katharina took six-year-old Johannes outside to see the Great Comet of 1577. The anchor to Kepler's life, however, was not finally astronomy, but his lifelong genuine and sincere faith in Christ. Raised in the Lutheran tradition, Kepler enjoyed the tremendous blessing of having a solid education. Quote, the Lutheran Church's commitment to education provided a single stroke of good fortune in an otherwise hopelessly bleak childhood, end quote, writes Kitty Ferguson, quote, the Lutheran Duchy of Wurttemberg had established a fine free school system, and this system rescued Johannes, end quote. Kepler himself said of his Lutheran faith, quote, I am a Christian. The Lutheran creed was taught to me by my parents. I took it unto myself with repeated searchings of its foundations, with daily questionings, and I hold fast to it. Hypocrisy, I have never learned. "...I am in earnest about faith, and I do not play with it." Quote. In 1600, Kepler himself refused to convert to Catholicism, despite the looming threat of having to leave the recently Catholicized city of Graz, in which he and his family lived at the time. On the 2nd of August, 1600, Kepler informed the Examination Committee that, quote, "...he was a Lutheran and would not convert. His name was written down on the list of 61 banished citizens." He was given six weeks and three days to leave Graz for good, end quote. knowing his ultimate citizenship was in heaven, Kepler accepted this banishment with, quote, a serenity that even he found astonishing, end quote. Kitty Ferguson notes that Kepler wrote to a friend confessing, quote, I would not have thought that it is so sweet in companionship with some brothers to suffer injury and indignity for the sake of religion, to abandon house, fields, friends, and homeland. If it is this way with real martyrdom and with the surrender of life, And if the exaltation is so much the greater, the greater the loss, then it is an easy matter also to die for faith. And it would appear that the Lord in his cosmic mercies rewarded the perseverance and faithfulness of his servant Johannes with a gift from the heavens themselves. Though Kepler was not the first to have noticed it, there appeared on the night of October 10th, 1604, a court official in a state of great agitation, end quote, who, quote, roused the family on October 11th, end quote. Ferguson writes that, quote, when Kepler could make sense of the man, he learned that on the previous evening, he had seen a brilliant new star through a gap in the clouds, end quote. It was not until a week later, after the skies had finally cleared, that Kepler saw the spectacularly luminous sight for himself. So as God turned Martin Luther's eyes to the glorious light of the gospel for the first time in the early 16th century, nearly a century later, the Lord Jesus likewise turned Kepler's eyes upon high To the brilliantly colorful diadem blazing near the foot of Ophiuchus, the constellation of the Serpent Handler. The nova's appearance created quite a stir in Europe. It is formerly known today as SN 1604. In our discussion, Wayne and I could not remember the date. Most people thought it a, quote, sinister omen. Kepler spent the better part of a year studying the celestial wonder and ended up publishing De Nova Stella, or The New Star. With a rather profuse subtitle, quote, a book full of astronomical, physical, metaphysical, meteorological, and astrological discussions, glorious and unusual. End quote. In those days, Kepler actually wrote astrological tracts for nobles and government officials, as it provided a means for some income. But he scarcely believed there was any actual merit to his own prognostications. He would later say he abhorred the practice of astrological forecasting as something that only contributed to the, quote, nourishing of fatheads, end quote. Needless to say, he thought about the astrological implications of the appearance of the new star in De Nova Stella and thought it best as a Christian and a Lutheran to exhort his readers, quote, to examine their sins and repent, end quote. And among many other things, Kepler also wrestled with trying to figure out the orbit of Mars, wrote lengthy works on optics and lensing, was fluent in the original biblical languages, suffered the loss of a wife and children, and was constantly on the move, and above all, remained faithful to God through everything. So come and hear more about the remarkable life and times of the famed astronomer Johannes Kepler, and how his life and work certainly radiated the glory of God as brightly as any star or planets in the heavens. Well, good heavens, Wayne. Can you believe it? We've been doing good heavens for three years this month.
2: Howdy, Dan. It's great to be here. Uh, Three years have gone by quickly, haven't they?
1: Yes. I can't believe... Our first two podcasts that we did were at the Hope Center in Plano, Texas, in September of 2017. And here we are, three years later, in our living rooms, separated by an invisible virus.
2: <laughs> yeah, but we've we've adapted pretty well to the remote recording, so we've got a system down now.
1: I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, speaking of... Um, virus and disease and all this kind of stuff. Uh, we thought it would be a good idea, or it was actually your idea, to talk about a time period when there was a lot of uh, a lot of this going on. We think coronavirus is bad. Um, just try having lived in the uh, 16th century. Right, Wayne?
2: Yeah, we're going to go back in time sort of today in this program. And uh, Dan, um, we were talking about Having you know starting this program uh, three years ago, and when I think back to the beginning, it makes me think uh, about Johann Kepler because back then we were talking about that a lot. Yeah, and, and I I've always thought he was such a good example about someone who uh, balances faith and reason.
1: Yeah, and so we thought it would be a good a good topic to revisit for our third year anniversary, Johannes Kepler and his groundbreaking work, his life, which is really amazing. It's not just planetary, the motions of the planets, that's what most people know him for, for the ellipses, uh, not the things on your mouth, but uh, the the actual orbital shape of the planets is kind of like an egg. And Kepler discovered this, and uh, most of our listeners probably have at least heard of Kepler's three laws of planetary motion, which he's most famous for. But there's so much more tonight that we're going to unpack about Johannes. Um, And it's really kind of more involved uh, than the chapter that you wrote in your book about Johannes and Tycho, or Tycho, uh, Tycho Brahe. You have written a whole chapter in the story of the cosmos about uh, the curious odd couple of astronomy, Tico and
2: Kepler. So So, uh,
1: this is going to be a little extended discussion about that, right?
2: Yeah, Dan, I kind of wanted to sort of pick up where my chapter left off in the book. And uh, Dan, you remember we were writing the book and we came to a point where we had to make a lot of cuts of material. Yes. And it's it's really kind of painful and difficult to cut stuff, but... There were things I had to cut, and a lot that you had to cut. So, oh, it was this the is, worst this is, process. This is some of the material <laughs> that I wish we could have gotten the book. Right, right.
1: So we swept off, we swept the stuff off the editing floor, and we put it together for a podcast. <laughs> um. So Wayne, it's been um, it's been three years, and uh, before we get into uh good old Johannes, um, you wanted to chat a little bit about Good Heavens?
2: Yeah. So. Um, I'm really happy with what we've done so far on the program, Dan and um, a lot of people are listening with PodBean and we didn't start on PodBean. We started with Patreon and you manage Patreon and I manage Podbean and then uh, so uh the 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 first program we did on Kepler was actually the second program on Patreon but in podbean i think it was number 9 or something like that mm. uh, But anyway since the beginning we've gotten uh the podcast out in a number of different podcast platforms and yes. and so you know the most common app that's used for uh, good heavens from podbean is Apple Podcasts, and then the, mm-hmm. the Podbean app is second, and then it kind of goes down from there. We recently added two more platforms just uh, a few weeks ago, Dan.
1: Yeah, that's very exciting. We, uh, You gave me the list the other day. I had no idea. Uh, you gave me a list of, what, 15 or 20 platforms where you can find good heavens.
2: Yeah, it's more like 40-some uh, oh my goodness. Goodness. good heavens! Good we're heavens! Good heavens! We're in forty platforms. <laughs> so the two two new ones that we have are uh, Spotify and TuneIn. There's one called TuneIn. Spotify and TuneIn are also both available through Amazon Alexa and uh, mm. Amazon Music. Recently opened opened up for podcasts. So uh, I haven't got Pod being pushed out on that yet, but I could do that.
1: Wow! So if you have an Alexa, you can say, "Alexa, play the Good Heavens podcast that, with Wayne and that's Dan." That's
2: right; it'll work. <laughs> that's neat. I
1: want to hear that myself. I, I I don't have an Alexa, but I want to hear that. And, and then that would be uh, cool about countries. We need to talk about countries. Oh yeah, we are uh, we are nationwide. Well, not na- we are nationwide, we are but scattered we are across the globe, scattered
2: around the globe now. So. <laughs> Obvious. So, where are so, we? So, uh, over 80% of the downloads come from the United States. That's no surprise. And the uh, United Kingdom is the second. So, Britain, uh, people in Britain are listening. Well, hello, friends
1: in the UK. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for tuning Absolutely. in, wherever you are.
2: Quite so, yes. Quite so. so yes, the- sorry about that.
1: <laughs> Forgive my terrible <laughs> British accent, but I... Uh, yes. Uh, I love to do it, but it's <laughs> yep. just terrible.
2: Forgive a, forgive a Texan right, Yeah,
1: That's right.
2: Uh, and then uh, Canada is number three, and then Australia, and it goes down from there.
1: Wow. We, I know we had a couple. Had, uh, we had a couple in Italy. I see we had one or two in
2: Israel. Was it? Yeah. Venezuela has a few. Uh, wow. Romania. Wow. Uh, there's a f- couple in Pakistan. Wow. And over time, the the ones that have very few tend to grow. So. It's it's going well.
1: So good heavens we are all over the earth. That's right. <laughs> Coming to you live from our respective living rooms. I'm Wayne I'm Dan, and that's Wayne, and uh we are broadcasting uh good heavens from uh our living rooms tonight. All over the world. Very good. Right. Cool. Um so that's pretty exciting. Anything else that you uh, wanted to talk about in relation to the podcast?
2: No, that's it. I just think uh, I'm glad we're we're still at it.
1: Yes, yes, lots more things to cover. We've only scratched the surface of the Rakia. Yeah, uh, we, the Rakia doesn't really have a surface, but
2: uh, we haven't figured out all the mysteries of the universe yet, have we? We
1: haven't even begun. I, I don't even think we're we're halfway to the moon yet. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's um, a lot to talk about, but. Tonight we're gonna to focus on it is tonight. We are recording this uh in the evening and um this will air soon. But uh we thought it would be a good topic to uh to talk about uh Johannes Kepler, uh the uh who lived during the uh late sixteenth, early seventeenth century. He died in sixteen thirty, correct, Wayne?
2: Uh yes, that's right.
1: Yeah. So and then he was born, um only 25 years after Martin Luther, the Protestant Reformation uh, German Protestant uh, reformer, um, born in 1571 he was uh, Kepler was. I wanted to start off. I know this is kind of a surprise to you, but uh, I don't think we talked about this before. And uh, for our listeners, if you're interested, uh, we've mentioned this before in our first broadcast about Tycho and Kepler uh, way back. and um, this is a book by Kitty Ferguson. Called Tycho and, or Tycho and Kepler, and it's a great little book. If you're interested in the history, um, it's, it's a well-written book. It's very entertaining, very enjoyable, and um, very good book. It is yeah. a very good book. And I thought there was a dog-eared page I have in my copy um, <laughs> that when I read this a couple of years ago, it's Johannes uh, writing a description of himself in the third person, <laughs> and so he's uh, 25 or 26. Uh, Kitty Ferguson says, but this comes from his journaling. Uh, he was a very meticulous. He 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 kept a journal of his early life to some degree um, about his mom, his his uh, father-in-law, and other other medical maladies that he had. He was a, kind of a meticulous thinker, kind of an odd man in some sense. But this is young, twenty-five, twenty-six-year-old Kepler here writing about himself in third person. I want to read this. It's kind of funny. So keep in mind, this is Kepler writing about himself at the age of 26. He says, quote, "That man has in every way a dog-like nature. His appearance is that of a little house dog. His body is agile, wiry, and well-proportioned. Even his appetites were the same. He gnawed he liked gnawing bones and dry crusts of bread and was so greedy that whatever his eyes chanced on he grabbed. Yet, like a dog, he drinks little" and is content with the simplest food his habits also were like a house dog <laughs> he uh. continually sought the goodwill of others was dependent on others for everything ministered to their wishes never got angry when they reproved him and was anxious to get back into their favor he was constantly on the move ferreting among the sciences politics and private affairs including the most trivial kind always following someone else imitating his thoughts and actions He is impatient with conversation, but greets visitors just like a dog.
2: When
1: the smallest thing is snatched away from him, he flares up and growls. (laughs) He tenaciously persecutes wrongdoers. That is, he barks at them. He is malicious and bites people with his sarcasms. (laughs) He hates many people exceedingly, and they avoid him. But his masters are fond of him. He has a dog-like horror of baths, tinctures, and lotions. (laughs) His recklessness knows no limits, yet he takes good care of his life. That was a journal entry from Kepler, at 26, describing himself as a house dog. Well. <laughs> so that gives you a little flavor that uh, Kepler was not this austere uh, you know, scientist that uh, was just interested in making calculations about the orbit of Mars. Uh, there's a lot of fascinating aspects to uh, Johannes Kepler, Wayne, isn't there?
2: Oh yeah, and you can tell a sense of humor in some of the things he wrote. Yes, but but some of a lot of what he wrote is actually kind of technical and not easy reading at all. So he he was uh, versed in literature. He actually taught Latin for a while, mm. Dan, and uh, but he ended up as a mathematician and astronomer. So. Well a well rounded man,
1: really. Wow. Now it's interesting, Wayne, that uh when he was younger, his whole interest in astronomy was because his mother took him out to see an eclipse, correct?
2: Uh I think it was a comet.
1: A comet, that's right. I think it was that's a right. comet. Was but a he boy. was very young at a very young age he was he was fascinated by um the phenomenon in the sky, and you're right, it was a comet, not an eclipse. Um, but but that really, he was he was very close to his mom, wasn't he? Or there's something about his mother we're going to talk about tonight, right?
2: I think he was. It was kind of a difficult relationship with his mom. We're, we'll get to his mom because she was accused of being a witch, Ooh. and that kind of brings up uh, the kind of world that Kepler grew up in and lived in. He, you know, it was a very superstitious world. Dan, he lived in a world when growing when he was growing up that um, there was a really a desperate need for knowledge. People didn't have scientific knowledge, and they there was a lot of dangers mm-hmm. imagined and real that people had to deal with. Um, people were afraid of being touched by a witch. They were afraid mm. of... Just touching a, a witch touching them would make them sick. And they had all kinds of uh, superstitious beliefs about things. Um, so one of those things was astrology, Dan. We haven't brought up astrology on our program much.
1: No, we haven't. Uh, we are um, just embarking upon, going to try, to talk a little bit more about constellations uh, in the night sky. But uh, astrology... Um, As we've talked about off-mic before, astrology was uh, very much a part of uh, the uh, medieval time. Um, But now we kind of need to unpack it a little bit because it's not exactly uh, the New Age sort of mystical spiritualism that it is uh, today with all the connotations of uh, of New Age spirituality. It was more along the lines of real science for a while—well, the science— Right. Of the time, uh, you know, astrology like uh, biology or psychology or geology. Um, but as Kepler had his feet kind of in both worlds, Wayne, and part of the changeover that went from astrology to astronomy uh, is because of the kinds of things that Kepler has accomplished. He was discovering laws. And so that's where we get this. So when we say astronomy instead of astrology, there's two words. There's aster and nomos that make up the word astronomy. Aster is star and nomos is law, star law. Now, as more mathematical formulas began to develop from Kepler onward, and then, of course, you have Galileo and then later Newton, which is really interesting. You point out in your article that you wrote that that Kepler didn't have the concept of gravity uh that was later developed by Newton in the late 17th century but he was very close to finding gravity wasn't he
2: yeah see it, this is so interesting so Kepler w- lived right at a time when it w- he had a sort of a a blended view of things he he he, p- he thought partly like the old medieval world and his thinking was trying to reason its way to Modern science. but mm. and he I think he really helped people move in that direction. yeah, and with all that he with all that he accomplished in astronomy, that made less interest in astrology.
1: right. so his actual discoveries and the things that he worked on along with Tycho, um, paved the way from that change in the word from astrology, which was the science of the time, to astronomy as more and more uh, laws were discovered. In uh, in the universe, these mathematical descriptions of the motions of the planets became more and more uh, the norm uh, with Newton, Galileo, Kepler, and Bra. They were all discovering these laws, um, and so that that really brought into the the era of formal astronomy as we know it today. And astrology got left behind because there was uh, now. It's interesting in your article you talk about Kepler practiced astrology. But it wasn't like – we. Got, it's interesting to, to point – needful to point this out. It wasn't like in Kepler's time there was a choice between astrology and astronomy. Um, it really was – he was really kind of on the tail end of the dying art of astrology and really ushering in a new era of astronomy. And so
2: – Right. In fact, Dan, there was a – one of his books that he wrote was – Uh, It was sort of jumping into a controversy between two men, uh, one of which was kind of going whole hog into astrology and trying to make all these grandiose predictions Mm. of what was going to happen in the world. And the other person was saying, uh, we should completely uh, throw all of this out and and don't believe Mm. anything in astrology. It's all wrong. So Kepler took a sort of middle path, uh, sort of a halfway position in there. So there were certain things he didn't like. He didn't yeah. like use of the zodiac. Mm. He never referred to the zodiac. He considered yeah. that tied to pagan religion. And uh, but he he did believe that uh, the time, uh, the position of the planets, or conjunctions of what the planets and the moon and such might uh, could affect. Uh, your personality or the things that would happen in your life. Yes, yes. And, and it would sort of give a tendency to things in your own life. Right.
1: So the astrology for Kepler, he was very observant, right? I mean, he, he, uh, and in terms of very, very sharp intellect. I mean, he had actually bad eyesight. He really, <laughs> right. for somebody who was in astronomy, he he didn't have the good eyesight. Uh, Tycho Brahe had the good eyesight, right? Yeah. Um, Kepler had the the mathematical calculating Mind, but one of the things that that Kepler, I know he did, was that when he did these astrological predictions, one of the things that that this included was that because he was a mathematician and he was predicting by the mathematical laws that that were being uncovered, he could predict when a certain planet would be in a certain place at a certain time. And then, if he knew the king, or if he knew the people that he was working for, the knew the people that he was being paid by to write these. Uh, prognostications about the future. He could just do a little thinking about human nature. Well, King, you see, when this planet is aligned with this, uh, I, it seems to me, knowing your personality, right? So he, there was this very. He didn't like it really, but he did it for money. So he kind of believed in some of this, but a lot of a lot of it was just based on his ability to predict where the astronomical bodies would be at a certain time.
2: Yeah, and Dan, like for example, the weather people would use astrology to predict the weather. Yeah. But Ke- Kepler, he kind of went along with that to some degree, but right. he also really made weather observations throughout the year. Yeah, real science, so real he, science. It's, it's kind of interesting how the the superstitious ideas and sometimes the astrology motivated some of the observations and then the mm. observations kind of feed into the science eventually.
1: Yeah, that's a you point out uh and we've we've talked about this before. In the medieval time, you know, so people were in search of this idea of um uh, you know, let's let's turn metal into gold, right? And so like in in Kepler's time and before, people would lay out like tin in the sun because they thought the sun influenced this process of alchemy, and you would sun your metals, right? And 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 if you were had the appropriate uh, proportion of sun on your metal, you might get some, uh, you might get uh, your your metal to turn into gold. So, but this whole idea of alchemy turning base metals into gold, uh, of course, that's there's there's nothing to that. But that investigation into that kind of practice led to eventually. Uh, modern chemistry, right, right. Um, so one thing that was a, a, a bad motivation, something just we just didn't know, all of a sudden leads to actually the science, and that's a good explanation for p- kind of how we pass out of astrology into astronomy uh, through the making of observations.
2: Um, yeah, the, the alchemy got people experimenting with different materials. And uh sometimes they probably got themselves hurt, I don't know, but they <laughs> uh
1: <laughs> who knows what all the kind of stuff was going on when they were trying to make that stuff go?
2: There were some useful things that were learned from that, probably, yeah, uh but you know i we should point out Dan that uh the Bible does discourage astrology strongly right, and uh there's a few places in the Bible you can refer to if you want to look that up. Deuteronomy 4.19, Isaiah 47.13 basically says astrological predictions are useless. Mm. They can't save, but God can really save. And then Daniel chapter 2, it tells about the, the magicians and advisors to King Nebuchadnezzar. Right. And they they could not help him understand his dream, but Daniel helped him uh, figure out his dream without astrology
1: right and so for today when you hear of astrology i mean you can google astrology and you can find all kinds of things about what sign you were born under in the zodiac and what you should have for breakfast tomorrow and who you should marry and you know what kind of job you should take and if you should move and all this kind of stuff and really today i would say a very easy way to distinguish uh astrology basically is thinking that the universe is all about you and uh and your future when in truth good astronomy as kepler did note uh is all about jesus it's all about the god who created everything and uh so that's a really quick that's a down and dirty course there's so many other bad things that go on in the the practice of astrology today it's new age spiritualism that that is a a complete misuse and a misunderstanding and uh of of what the stars and the heavens are and, um, and, and but there's another error today, Wayne, that that Kepler, we, we don't blame Kepler for this, but there's another error in the other direction, where it's all hard science, and we've completely taken God out of the picture. Um, and so everything is materialistic. Uh, we have to, you and I joke about this a lot on some of the episodes, that if you take God out of the universe as the creator and the sustainer, you have to come up with naturalistic explanations for why things are the way they are. Because if there's no God, all you have is matter and energy. And so how often, Wayne, have we seen or talked about theories in cosmology or astronomy that try to explain certain phenomena by planets or stars exploding or crashing into each other?
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, what we want this universe, this vast universe we're part of, to mean something. Yes. And so I can, and in a sense, I don't blame people for trying to find some meaning out of absolutely the universe, but astrology is the wrong way. It I, certainly I,
1: is. It certainly is. And, but, but I want to emphasize too, that leaving God out and just trying to explain everything materialistically is another wrong way. Yeah. Yes. Um There's two, two errors there. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh. You know, I mean, right. when you hear about how did life come to Earth, I mean, you hear these theories about, well, the moon crashed into Earth or an asteroid brought, you know, biological stuff from another place or an asteroid brought frozen water and crashed through the atmosphere or the Earth collided with a planet or the sun collided with something or the planets collided and that's why we have an asteroid belt. And But all these collisions and explosions trying to explain these chain reactions of things that led to biological life. Um, Uh, The biggest myth I hear today is that uh, uh, supernovas, uh, stellar explosions, create the carbon that's in our bodies, and that carbon found its way to Earth. And there's this long chain of explanation as to how we got here without any reference to God whatsoever. But astrology in Kepler's time was just equally dubious because it was a reliance upon the stars, thinking that if I knew what the stars were going to do, then I could also know the future. And uh, so so there are opposite errors there, but they're both kind of mythical and and wrongly directed in terms of what the universe is all about. But Kepler kind of cut through all that, and he foundationally understood that that, that the heavens were ordered by God, created by God. And that was his uh, conviction all the way through the tumultuous times in which he lived. He never gave up on his faith, did he?
2: No, and uh, I I can see uh, how Kepler really influenced people around him, and he, he knew some important people. He knew a number of kings and people in Europe uh, that were important people. Anyway, he led some people in a direction, away from astrology, and a, more toward reason and uh toward modern science. And uh, he had to very personally deal with superstition his in his own personal life because of this accusation of witchcraft uh, w- about his mother. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, and, uh, that's
1: critical because... Um, he... I'd like to talk about that, Dan, Absolutely. because yeah.
2: he is... This is such an extraordinary thing that Kepler did Thousands of people who were in German-speaking areas of that time, the 1500s and 1600s, thousands of people, thousands of women were being um, executed in one way or another because uh, out of accusations of witchcraft. Mm. And those were often extremely unfair uh, things of how they accused them and and the trials were not fair. and Mm. So... um, Kepler's mother was accused of uh, giving a woman this, uh, what they thought was a potion that made her sick. Mm. And and then other people kind of joined into the accusation. Wow. And it becomes a, ho- a whole array of hearsay and um, wild accusations. And so Kepler, Johann Kepler put together a legal defense for his mother. His mother's name was Katharina. And um, so uh, Katharina was put in prison for a period of time. She was in in prison on multiple stints over six or seven years. Hmm. But when, when it started, it was the year 1615, and she was 68 when this began. Wow. So she was already an elderly woman, and they put her in prison, and it was bad conditions in prison. Ooh. At one point, they had to move her to a different prison to have better conditions. And when they when they moved her, the family had to pay for guards to protect her. Wow. Think about that a minute. Wow. To pay for guards to protect her in prison. And uh, this was very hard on her. Mm. Uh, and eventually, she was. Uh, there was a trial she went through, but Kepler managed to convince the authorities to have the uh, the whole legal proceeding written up in detail, and the whole defense was in writing. Mm. And I think that probably made it easier for him to refute the claims.
1: Yeah, uh, but he spent six years and a lot of time and effort uh, defending his mother's innocence in this against. Yeah, he charges. had to
2: pay for lawyers. Yeah. He, and this was a, he had to leave his normal work and go to another city, and I think some some other people in the family had to move as well. Uh-huh. So this was really a big deal. Mm. Anyway, she was eventually acquitted and let go. And at the end of this whole uh, ordeal, she gives this uh, testimony of her faith. I believe she was really a Christian, and uh, she she recited the Lord's prayer. And she makes a statement to the effect that uh if she was killed, God would bring it to light that it was wrong, and that God would not take his holy spirit from her hmm. so I think she really was a christian, but she was she was kind of a cantankerous woman that she made people angry at times and <laughs> and she was she wasn't someone that got along with people real well it sounds right. like but uh she was also very stubborn and she stuck to her guns and declared her innocence to the very end.
1: Mm. So she was just uh she was older somewhat uh somewhat personally unpleasant but not not anything like one of the the witches in in uh, Shakespeare or something right. like that. Yeah, she was she uh just right. just a very very so, uh just very difficult for us to conceive of the time in which so many people were so easily accused and then put to death with so little uh, evidence in in proof of what they are this the suspicions as you say superstitions and suspicions uh, ran high uh, during this time period rumors and everything and so
2: rumors and yeah al- disc outright lies about her it's it's amazing
1: so with this cultural and social mess I mean you had disease and you had superstition and you were you know all these things that we didn't know, and bacteria and you know here we are, and then the, then we had the political turmoil, the political and ecclesiastical turmoil of the Reformation that uh that here is Johannes Kepler he's almost like, and I think we've said this before, and you say it in your book in the chapter in our book that uh that Kepler was kind of a martin luther of the of the universe, wasn't he he kind of reformed. Uh, began the Reformation process of how we truly understand what's going on in the heavens, wouldn't you say?
2: Yeah, so he was the kind of person that he didn't take things that he heard and was told for granted. He really investigated things and thought them through on his own very much. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so he did this in theological issues. He challenged the Lutherans about uh, their doctrines about communion. Mm-hmm. And he made some enemies over that. And he uh, he would tell the Protestants that that they should go along with Pope Gregory's calendar system because <laughs> it was a good calendar. Yeah, and, yeah. And Protestants didn't want to go along with the calendar. Right. Gregorian calendar. So,
1: why speak to that just a little bit, Wayne. You you mentioned in the chapter, but. The other crazy thing that was going on is that people were on two or three different calendars during this time, or there were, you go to one place, they were using one calendar. You go to another place, they were using another calendar, right? This was, this was all, can you, right? It's amazing.
2: Some places, some places use the Julian calendar, which went back to the time of the Romans Uh and Pope Gregory came up with a calendar that was better. Now in Europe, because there had been so many conflicts between Protestants and Catholics, there was this agreement that um, if the leader of a city was Protestant, then the city would be Protestant. And if the leader was Catholic, then the city would be Catholic. And so there were Protestant cities who had the Julian calendar and Catholic cities that used the Gregorian calendar. How about that? (laughs) And... uh, Sometimes they might have either one but I know I don't remember what city it was. There was one city that Kepler actually had to move to this city and when he moved he lost several days. There's <laughs> several days of the year just to Never mind twenty twenty. This sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I go move
1: and I lose a week. <laughs> you could lose your birthday. You could lose well, your about- birthday, you could lose a week, uh, you know and then you're in a you're in a catholic town or a protestant town and, and your, your mom's on trial for being a witch and you got yeah. you got gangrene and and dysentery and and and, and the, <laughs> it's just an insane time. How did this man survive all this? You know, it's amazing. It really is amazing. Yeah, he went through a lot. Yeah.
2: But one of these days, Dan, we should do a program about a program or two about calendars.
1: Yeah, that would be fun because that that is hardly something. I mean, we take it for granted. We buy the go to Walmart and Costco and get the little uh, squares with the pictures, and we we see all the days all the way up to December. I remember when I was a kid, I, we'd get a new calendar for Christmas, and I'd look at the december of the next year and wonder what day christmas was on you know and but we take it for granted that we can look at our phones and know the time of day and and you know that's funny Wayne, because we we've lost the art or the ability to be able to tell uh the time of day and yeah. the seasons by looking at the sky which is something that uh that that was very familiar to kepler and and people in his day
2: right and there's a lot of things that have been the same for a long time like the calendar system and Nobody knows anymore why, where it came from, or why everybody uses the same calendar. It didn't always; it wasn't always that way. So, uh,
1: solve for us, solve for us, Wayne. What calendar are we using now? What do we call the calendar? It's, it's the a, Gregorian calendar. It's the Gregorian calendar. So, the calendar that we're using now came out of the Protestant Reformation, and it is a Catholic calendar, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, the Julian calendar was made by. A, uh, uh, as you say, in the Roman times, and uh, the Protestants just went with that.
2: It, it was Julius Caesar, I <laughs> just, think.
1: Yeah, and so uh, and uh, so so that's really fascinating. It really is fascinating. We didn't even know what time it was. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> at least in 2020 we have a calendar. <laughs> uh, right. but, but back then, you're like, "What day is it? I don't know. Where are we?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, that would be but, so um, confusing. I want to I want to read something really quick from Kitty's book again, that, and this will help you go into something else you want to talk about. Okay. Um, that you know we're talking about all this madness and chaos, and makes twenty twenty look like Disneyland. Um, but that uh, uh, Kitty writes that uh, that that Kepler had this underlying conviction, and she says um, quote that for him there must be hidden connections between things. That seemed unrelated. Geometry, music, medicine, and astronomy had to be linked at some deep level. Kepler thought this must surely be the way God created the universe. Therefore, a man created in the image of God could comprehend the logic and discover the links with effort. End that's quote. good. Yes. Yeah, and I think that's exactly what drove him to be so, you know, as he described, we talked about kind of jokingly at the beginning, uh, himself as a little house dog who loved to chew on a bone. <laughs> That's not entirely untrue. <laughs> Once he got a bone, he wasn't letting go of it. You know, he he persevered. You write in your article about the uh, the uh, what is it? The tragedy or the the catastrophe of Mars, the Martian catastrophe, right? Uh, where Kepler really his his. The thing that's kind of overlooked about him, well, I mean, if you know Kepler, you know this is an issue, but him wrestling with the orbit of Mars because it was so bizarre and right. trying to fit it, understand it. Is it a circle orbit? What's going on here? What are these things going on? He really it was a battle with the, uh, the god of war planet, wasn't it? He was really struggling w- with that aspect. But what Kitty just said is, is what drove him. He had to, he was convicted that there is an underlying order that can be known. And if anybody's going to know about it, it's going to be me. I'm going to chew on this and chew on this and chew on this like a little house dog. And t- until yeah, I figure it out, he
2: really wanted, he wanted to understand the universe and he thought that we could understand it. Yeah. Uh, he, sometimes he had ideas that other scholars kind of told him to, you kind of avoid those questions you know don't even think about that like gra- we were talking about gravity mm. so p- at the time um, okay the Ptolemaic idea had earth at the center of everything mm-hmm. right And and the idea of gravity was that gravity pulled everything to the center mm. mm-hmm. and that was the center of the earth and so what they believed was that gravity really only affected the earth mm. they thought that gravity didn't operate in space Wow! So that's how, that's how they could believe that the sun could orbit the earth because they didn't have the, they didn't believe gravity existed in space. And it
1: was really the concept. I've read it before. Um, Kepler was extremely close, as was Bra. I mean, both of them together, Tycho and Kepler, they were they were really on the verge of of discovering what Isaac Newton would later discover. They just stopped short of of following through with their. With their ideas.
2: Yeah. In fact, Dan, there's a quote I like to give yeah. of Kepler. And this is, he's describing gravity. Okay, cool. And this is a correct statement, the way he describes this part of it. He says, if one would place a stone behind the earth and would assume that both are free from any other motion, then not only would the stone hurry to the earth, but also the earth would hurry to the stone. They would divide the space lying between in inverse proportion to their weights. <laughs> this is a
1: this is an accurate thing. He doesn't use the concept of gravity there. No, he doesn't use the word gravity, but he's he's on to the concept of it right there. Yes. Yeah. And
2: so he believed that gravity did operate in space, mm. and it, it had to do with the planets staying in their path. You might say, mm. but he didn't. He didn't really correctly understand gravity as a force. He thought that here you have the sun, and the planet is moving around the sun, uh, and somehow the sun's rotation, uh, the sun spinning, would make the planet spin and mm. re- re- revolve around it. So he thought it was the spin of the sun that made the planets move. And people at that time hadn't even thought about did the sun spin or not. But Kepler mm. believed that it probably did spin. And mm. nobody had a way to prove that at the time. So mm-hmm. Kepler was ahead of other people on this about the sun. Um, but he didn't yeah. quite have the right idea of a force like Newton did later. Um, and after Kepler died, it was only about, I think, 12 years or something later that Isaac Newton was born. And Mm. so I think that Isaac Newton very much used some of Kepler's writings, very likely. And he probably really got some of his ideas from Kepler. Mm. Mm. Because Newton was able to kind of pick up the concept that Kepler started and Uh and kind of flesh it out mathematically.
1: Yeah, and so um, uh, Kepler, we should mention, most people may know this, but Kepler did communicate and was a contemporary of Galileo. Yes. They shared, inf- they shared information. Um, but, but between Galileo Kepler and Bra, they didn't quite come up. Newton came behind them. And as Newton is famously quoted as saying that uh, his discoveries were because he stood on the shoulders of giants. giants. And I'm sure some of those giants were a couple of them were Galileo and, and Kepler mm-hmm. and, and Bra because they, I mean, you did not have anybody like Tico Bra collecting observational data uh from the heavens and and as you say in the chapter uh tycho was very jealous of of and guarded this jealously he didn't want any of this data leaking out because he was trying to formulate his own model um, of the uh, sort of a combination of helio and geocentrism but he was very it was very difficult for kepler to get the information out of tycho so he could do these calculations because Tycho was inherently suspicious of everybody out to get him um but that was really interesting so Kepler had a really you, you you write in your article Kepler had a really interesting idea about God and intelligent design and about this motion of because this is hard to conceptualize we are extremely familiar with the motion of the planets, and we almost take it for granted that we know what gravity is, but there's like several different theories of gravity today. <laughs> um, and, but I, I think it's, it's, it's interesting to, to, to set this up that, that uh, this idea of these things moving was really, just really exploring this question that the planets are moving it was just a fascinating thing. for, and, and, and again, they're on the cusp of trying to understand what gravity is as Newton came to see. So this is really groundbreaking. I mean, you have the Protestant Reformation. You have the, the, the two different calendar systems. And then you, you're on the cusp of making this incredible discovery that for nearly 2,000 years, Wayne, uh, Kepler is really working on—I mean, we don't have any scientific theory that we have today that's been around for 2,000 years. Um, that we so it 's hard to imagine you know aristotle 's system, the Ptolemaic system of the planets moving in circles was solid science for two thousand years and and so it 's interesting that here's Kepler about to break that you know and this 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 going from the circular orbit with the crystal spheres now to this Okay, I'm gonna deal with the orbit of Mars, what's going on, retrograde motion. What what can explain this motion? And this is a really fascinating uh step out of one era and into another. Kepler had his feet in, in two right. different worlds.
2: So these ideas that we're used to today, uh it was a real challenge to uh try and prove it, you know, to try and prove the Copernican idea. Mm. And Kepler was in a unique Uh, situation and position because of having known Tycho Brahe and so Kepler was very very well versed in the knowledge of the information from the Greeks. The Greeks did a lot of work in geometry and logic and then Tycho Brahe put together all the observations and those observations were over the course of 20 or 30 years probably Mm. And those were the best observations that had ever been done in the whole history of the world. Yeah. And only Kepler had access to Tycho Brahe's data.
1: That's pretty cool.
2: And the Tycho Brahe's family tried to get it away from him, but the king, basically the king had the orders to give to Kepler to do this project. So it was the, the king versus the Brahe family is, Anyway, mm. so Kepler had this ability, Dan, to think like the Ptolemaic idea and then switch gears and think like Tycho Brahe's idea and then switch gears again and think like Copernicus.
1: And he had his own, um, you may have seen, We, I think we have the drawings and maybe we can put it up for everybody, uh, that one initial model that Kepler had made of the planets, that geometric sort of salad bowl. It's like an open the 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 open sphere with the geometric solids inside of it. It's really beautiful, but it wasn't correct. I don't know what you call that.
2: Uh, yeah, I don't remember what he called it. It's on my website in one of my articles. I'm I'm impressed with how Kepler was able to think one way, and he was able to explain Ptolemy better than Ptolemy. He was able to explain Copernicus better than Copernicus. <laughs> yeah, he was. He had the data that he could compare to both. He had the observations to say, here's the way it really is. And he also had the the skill in mathematics to compare the distances and the numbers. He could actually calculate the same distance in the Ptolemaic model versus the Copernican approach and show how the distances worked better with Copernicus.
1: And as you say, he was... Uh he he, know, he knew languages. I mean, he knew the original biblical languages. The fascinating thing about all of his calculations and the time he spent studying Mars in particular was done during uh, the Counter-Reformation times uh, where the Catholic Church, where they were still uh, the back and forth between Catholics and Protestants in different states and different regions. Uh, and so he was, he was constantly having to move, Wayne. And he, he had uh, a wife had passed away. He'd lost children um he was there there was so many other things going on in this man's life that you think oh this is just a guy locked up in a castle tower studying the stars uh, you know all every day no he was moving from province to province he was dealing with his own family sickness he was dealing with his own health issues he was trying to deal with tico there were so many other socio-political things going on two different calendars
2: yeah and when he was working for the uh the king in prague uh, the, the king promised him lots of money, but he didn't pay him hardly ever. Didn't,
1: didn't come through at all, yeah. right. So there was a lot of upheaval, and it's, and it's just, to me, uh, one of the most fascinating things about Kepler was his um, his ability to endure through all of that oh, yeah. and come up with the three laws of planetary motion, which are still taught in every astronomy textbook. Basic astronomy courses that you'll hear. This is like a foundational aspect to uh, basic astronomy that uh, Johannes came up with during this tumultuous time. It's really amazing.
2: Yeah, you know, Dan, there's a there's a scripture I was going to mention about Kepler that I didn't think of it at the beginning here. Mm. Ephesians two ten, it says, "For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works." Which God prepared in advance for us to do. Mm. Mm. I I see that in Kepler's life. There's a lot of uh divine timing of things. Of yes. Putting Kepler in the right place at the right time and and giving Kepler the right kind of combination of skills and mm. resources and everything he needed at the right time. Well let
1: me uh what you just said um, reminded me of uh, brought to mind uh, this prayer um, that he wrote in the book shortly after he found his third law of planetary motion this was on uh, in may of sixteen eighteen uh and he was thanking God for the discovery so he 's writing about his third law of planetary motion and he concludes by saying this and it's 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 uh it 's remarkable and he says quote O oh, you who by the light of nature arouse us in a longing for the light of grace, so that by means of that you can transport us into the light of glory. I give thanks to you, Lord Creator, because you have lured me into the enjoyment of your work, and I have exalted in the works of your hands. Behold, now I have consummated the work which I pledged myself, using all the abilities that you gave me, I have shown the glory of your works to men and those demonstrations to readers so far as the meanness of my mind can capture the infinity of it. For my mind was made for the most perfect philosophizing. If any unworthy, if anything unworthy of your deliberations has been proposed by me, I am a worm born and raised in a hog wallow of sin, which you want mankind to know about. Inspire me as well as to change it if I have been drawn by the admirable, admirable beauty of your works into indiscretion, or if I have pursued my own glory among men while engaged in a work intended for your glory, be merciful, compassionate, and forgive that 's kepler 's prayer that he wrote as he was writing his third law of planetary
2: motion well wow, that 's awesome
1: isn 't that neat that's and I remember um, we talked about this before, but uh, we're getting back to astrology. Um, you know, Kepler was uh, was often asked about the future. You know, he was when he made his predictions. Um, there is a supernova named after Kepler. It's Supernova sixteen oh nine or sixteen oh four. Is it sixteen oh four? SN sixteen oh four. Sixteen oh
2: nine.
1: Is it sixteen oh nine or sixteen oh four? Forgive me. I should I'm I should have known positive. that. Anyway, there's a
2: picture of it in our book. Yes.
1: Uh, And I don't have the—shoot, that's the one book I don't have near me right now. Anyway, there's a supernova named after Kepler. It was the last supernova that was observed in our own Milky Way galaxy. Now, we've seen a lot of supernovas since then, but they're all outside of our galaxy. Kepler was the last one to make the discovery of the last supernova observed in the Milky Way galaxy, which is pretty remarkable. And so this nova was was spectacularly visible— to everybody, it was as bright as the moon for for a while, and people are like Johannes. What do we do? What does this mean? And uh, he thought, I don't know where what, in what book he wrote this, but it was it's so true. He says, you know, after after considering all of this these questions that he got, he said, well, I think it means this. It is best to examine one's own sins and repent. Yes, I, I, I remember
2: coming kind of <laughs> across this. So people wanted to make some big deal out of this, and he, as, as time went on, and he became better in his astronomy, I think he be, these sort of things he was sort of pressed into making some kind of astrological statement or prediction yes. and and he would uh, just kind of make some real general statement right and not really make that much of it
1: probably like uh you know one of these uh, football broadcasters who's on tv all the time when he goes out for dinner or somewhere public everybody's like asking him to make predictions about a football game he probably gets tired of that <laughs> <laughs> yeah something along those lines right i think you're right yeah yeah um but uh Wayne, that's uh, there's so much more we could talk about. Um, we're going to make your essay and several other links uh, to resources that you can find out more about Kepler, uh, his Wrestling with Mars, uh, our Story of the Cosmos book, where Wayne has a great chapter on this. Uh, Wayne's just wrote uh, an essay about Kepler that uh, includes material that we couldn't include in the book, but now Wayne is now have, has included it in an essay that will be available on his blog. So we are going to link all kinds of information, and you can go Kepler crazy with it. Uh, we'll link Kitty Ferguson's book. You can check that out. Uh, and uh, it's just, he's a fascinating man uh, who lived in a fascinating time uh, that makes 2020, you know, <laughs> read about Kepler's life and times and you will be thankful Yeah, <laughs> that you did not live back then, uh, you know.
2: So in, in my my article, Dan, it goes through some of the, some of the arguments that Kepler put together for the Copernican approach to things Mm. and with the planets and how his ideas related to design. And we talked about fine-tuning, and I think some of his ideas on gravity actually ties in with fine-tuning, Dan.
1: But here we are, Uh, 400-some-odd years later, still referencing uh, one of the greatest discoveries of of modern astronomical history. He literally changed— our concept of the heavens from uh, an Aristotle-Ptolemaic system um, to what we now know as the the Copernican heliocentric system. And we now know uh, the the orbital shape of planets, thanks to Johannes Kepler's analyzing of the data that Tycho Brahe had so meticulously compiled over decades.
2: Yeah, and you know, Dan, there are some other things that we— we owe to Kepler that he's not as well known for. He wrote on optics, and mm. he's actually the one who figured out that the image in the eye is inverted on the back of the retina. Wow! He he's the one that figured that out, and he he experimented with pinhole cameras. He also figured out some things about concave and convex lenses. He figured out some things that now is very important in. Making glasses and lenses for glasses for people. That's fantastic. And um, depth perception, he helped understand that. Uh, he also wrote something about snowfl- snowflakes, <laughs> the hexagonal hexagonal symmetry and shape of snowflakes. Wow! And uh, i i I haven't tracked down how to get get a copy of that, but uh, and then he also dated the birth of Christ. In a way that's pretty pretty much in agreement with any any scholar today, mm. so which you know people would say it was either late in 5 BC or early in 4 BC, and Kepler pretty much nailed that down. Mm. As other people have done the same thing, but Kepler did that uh, as well. So Kepler was a s- smart man, and he did a lot of good in a variety of ways. But you know what, Dan, I realized in studying how he did some of this, that the mathematics he used, it's really a lot like what we teach in high school math today. Mm. A good high school math student would, would learn about geometric proofs and trigonometry, and that's really the main thing that Kepler used to show the, all of this mathematically, uh, now, what Ke- the way Kepler did it is more complex pro- little th- problems than what a high school student would do. Sure. But it's really the same math in a different application of it. And, That's fantastic. And uh, that was fascinating to me. Is I used to teach high school geometry and trigonometry.
1: Well, you know, um, prior to Kepler's time, you know, when the university systems began in uh, the early medieval uh, Europe, um, you know, they taught the trivium and the quadrivium in the in the underschools that the children would learn grammar and rhetoric and or uh, grammar and, and this basic stuff. And then they would graduate into the quadrivium. And one of the uh, one of the uh, classical uh, subjects in the quadrivium was astronomy because it was beautiful and uh, it was geometrical. And so a lot of people, if you had a, a university education, um, a lot of people knew much more about just basics of stargazing and, and and how to understand the motions of the heavens than we do than we do today um, and and it's remarkable what you can do when there are no screens or televisions or sports teams in front of you <laughs> uh, how uh, this wonderful uh, knowledge of the universe um, it's still available to us Wayne if we if we took the time to People say, "Well, what's the use of of looking at the stars?" I mean, what use is it, right? We are such a pra- pragmatic culture that we can't seem to find any use for something. We we don't think it's 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 important, um, and that's so tragic because the universe is like the biggest created thing that God has made, and it seems disproportional that that nobody really takes an interest in it. Um, and and so I think it's 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 something in in, in Kepler's life. I think it's important for us as the church to recognize that we should be good stewards of creation, not just taking care of it, but knowing more about it than we do. And, uh, you know, so here's this genius of a man, Kepler, who was a devout believer and who loved the science and loved studying what God made and made some remarkable discoveries about about it because he paid attention to what God Uh, has made and you know when you look at the scriptures and you look at what Jesus when he's talking about the kingdom of the heavens Wayne what is he using what's what's he using he's using analogies of nature seeds and birds and lilies of the field and fish and trees and seasons and he's using the metaphors of nature to describe what the kingdom of the heavens is like And so I think Kepler's right, or Kitty Ferguson pointing it out, that we were designed to be able to know and appreciate and enjoy what God has made. I think it's Psalm 111, great are the works of the Lord. They're studied by all who delight in them. Psalm 111 too. Yeah. And so that's Kepler's life. I mean, here's here's a man who delighted in what God has made. It's like uh, God has given us two books the book of nature and the book of scripture. And they're meant to be read together. And I think that was Galileo's move. And that's certainly the way Kepler believed. But I think as believers, I think we would, we would do ourselves a favor to know more about the book of creation than we do. And uh, to move past the fundamentals and really understand and enjoy and appreciate uh, what God has created, because through that joy and delight and appreciation, uh, we can make, Discoveries. Uh-huh. We can continue to make discoveries, um, and so it's not just a matter of what use is it to me. What do the What does the Bible say? The Bible says that the heavens are telling. They don't stop. The heavens are telling of the glory of God.
2: Well, it's more of what meaning is it? And the meaning is that it points us to the greatness of God and what He is like. So. We can always—knowing more science doesn't give us less reason to praise God. We, we have more reason to praise God right? than, than Kepler did because right. Right. we know more. And,
1: and, and, and that just increases our appreciation for, for who Jesus is and how he takes care of us. Right. Um, one of my favorite analogies is, is Jesus talking about the sparrows. You know, if God feeds the birds, consider the birds of the air. Um, you know, um, if God takes care of the birds, He's going when we're of more value than many sparrows. How how can we doubt that He will take care of of us? And uh, so, meditating on creation with Scripture in mind is what is fundamental to to our faith. Uh, we need to know both things, like and Johannes did. So, I think it's an inspiration for us. I mean, there's no excuse. He had 2020 every year. <laughs> and and so we really have, we can't say that, you know, we, well, we need to wait until things have calmed down before we start looking at nature. Like, no, I think that's the remedy right now for a lot of us that are experiencing a lot of stress is to go out and t- to contemplate the beauty and the regularity and the wonders of nature. And and that can instill an appreciation and encourage and inspire you to, to know and, and to be more uh, in love with God, you know, to, to really appreciate what he has done and the beauty that he has created for us.
2: And, you know, we, we think about a great man like Kepler, Dan, and it can seem like, uh, who am I? But really, uh, we have more knowledge in, in our education today than Kepler had in some ways. But He was fortunate because he got a good education. Not everybody got that uh-huh. in his day. And so we really do have a lot today to thank God for, and uh, if Kepler figured out the orbits of the planets without a telescope and without a calculator, and, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and you know, and you're really using the kind of math we teach kids in high school, then God has a purpose for our life too. Right? right. If God arranged things in the life of Kepler, of Johann Kepler, He can arrange things in our life. Today.
1: Absolutely. Because uh, we only have one calendar, so we can be thankful for that. Yes. (laughs) And when we move to a different state, we're not going to lose a week. Right. (laughs) And there aren't going to be, uh, you know, ecclesiastical bishops raising eyebrows at us and wondering what faith we profess. Uh, You know, so we, you know, 2020 has been pretty rough for a lot of us. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I would say just a just a short sampling of kepler 's life and times would suggest I think he had it a little worse than we did, yes. um, with all the strife and all that stuff so anyway uh, we will uh, we will provide our listeners with uh, links galore that you can explore uh, about uh, johannes kepler links to wayne 's page links to the book we 've been talking about, uh, links to other articles that on kepler if you 're more interested in finding out more about that, but I would start if you 're interested. Uh, Wayne's got a great article. Uh, Our book, The Story of the Cosmos, is Wayne's chapter. Uh, Wayne's article that he just finished is kind of an extension of his chapter in our book. And then there's the Kitty Ferguson book, uh, Tycho and Kepler. And we'll link all this information in the description below the podcast. Wayne, it's been another great Good Heavens episode. Any closing thoughts?
2: Well, just, uh, I guess, praise God for being the great creator and that he cares about each one of us. And uh, we're going to keep on looking up and finding uh, meaning from the heavens.
1: Amen. All right, Wayne. Well, happy third anniversary to you on this Good Heavens episode. You too, Dan. Pretty awesome. And we will see all of you next time right here on Good Heavens. Good Heavens.
0: In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the Bible says. But do the heavens matter to us anymore today? What does Scripture mean when it says the heavens declare the glory of God? How can a biblical perspective of the universe fit within the paradigms of modern science? How can a deeper understanding of the universe strengthen and encourage your faith? Find out by putting Good Heavens in your podcast subscription list today. Thanks for listening to this episode of Good Heavens, I'm Dave Mitchell.